Thanks for joining me in Sheffy's Sandbox. I'm April Dawn Scheffler, and I invite you to play with me and my guest today, Fiona Wong. Welcome, Fiona. Thank you very much. In this segment, we pop into a virtual coffee house before hitting the beach. And being the benevolent host that I am, your order is on me. So what <laughs> order do you give the barista? Oh, man, if I were to go to a coffee house, I honestly would probably get like some sort of green tea. I'm a tea person. That's what I'm drinking today, some type of herbal herbal tea. It's throat yeah. coat by traditional medicinals. So it's nice. Pretty. Well, now that you have your warm beverage, let's dive right in. Sometimes living one's purpose and going through this human, human experience can look like playing small, but other times it can look like playing big. So in your spotlight moments, Fiona, have there been any claims to fame, times that our listeners may have seen you or your work? Um, I'm not sure if I have any claim to fame moments. I think what I am known for is my writing about human design. I have a human design blog. And most of the stuff in there, especially some of my earlier writing from about a year or two ago, it was just like a hobby blog where I put down my feelings. Very 2000, if people remember like the days of Zanga and Tumblr, where people just vomited their feelings on paper, digital paper. And uh, for some reason, a lot of the posts got really popular. It was just no marketing behind it, no real trying to sell anything behind it, but people enjoyed it. And I've just kept going. Well, guests are asked to choose a word or phrase that they would like to hear used more often in everyday conversation, something that doesn't get enough play or enough airtime. Mm -hmm. um, and the prior guest chose the word bamboozle. <laughs> so you are tasked to try to somehow fit that into our conversation today. Okay. Okay. <laughs> now you also get to choose a word for the next guest to dance with and it could be a peculiar word that you find funny or just something that resonates with you so what are you laying down for them to pick up Ooh, my brain automatically went like let's think of something weird i've been watching a lot of good place and i can't curse there so i'm just gonna say fork Mm. <laughs> I love that show. I love yeah. that show. I recently recommended that to somebody. It was really, it's really good. I felt so sad that it was over. Oh yeah. Uh, this is actually my second rewatch of it. Cause I've been watching a lot of, um, scary things. And I always say like, I need like, brain bleach somewhere <laughs> and a good place. Kind of like, you know, just like I've a heard it called that before. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> brain bleach <laughs> I would just like to tell listeners how I came across you I'm part of this uh, community and we were on telegram this telegram chat and it was brought up the idea of using sidereal astrology instead of tropical mm -hmm. for your human design chart and so I had a genetic matrix subscription. And so I was able to plug that in and use it. Hmm. And what I came up with was something completely different than a three, five splenic projector. Hmm. I think I was an emotional ma manifesting generate, something like that. It was crazy, but I really was shocked because I didn't identify with all those defined centers. 
I guess mm-hmm. I'm so used to seeing my chart so empty. And I was having a little bit of a, a crisis. <laughs> so to the internet, typed in, I can't remember exactly what it was, but tropical versus sidereal human design. Mm-hmm. And I came across your blog. You were saying that that's how people will, will come across you, your, your claim to fame in a way. And that's definitely how I found you was your blog. You had an entry about that. Uh, and from what I remember, it was talking about how human design is an experiment. And I loved how you refused over and over again to tell the reader what was correct. Mm-hmm. And I, I loved that. And so I guess that was one of the first things I wanted to see if you would tell our listeners is how you use yourself as your authority instead of someone else. Because it's not as though you trash talk all of the human design resources, because I think I saw on Instagram, you had all of these recommended reading books. I mean, there's a Mm -hmm. lot of them. So it's not as though you were saying, don't read what anyone else has to say about it or the wisdom that has been channeled through someone else. Mm-hmm. But you're just saying to like use your own discretion and how it feels right. So can you kind of talk about that balance between feeding yourself external things and measuring that to how it feels within your own authority? For me, I'm self-projected. So I trust what comes out of my mouth more than I trust how I feel or what I'm experiencing internally. For example, if someone was to like give me a plate of food and I put it in my mouth and like, I can hold it in. I can just be like, if I like it, I don't like it. I can hold it in. But the moment someone asks me that question, so do you like it? It's very difficult. Some people can probably relate to this, especially with defined throat centers. Your your mouth betrays what's up here. There's what you want to say mentally because you want to be polite, but then your mouth just bleh. Oops, my bad. I'm sorry. So for me, it's also coming to terms to trust that. I grew up in a culture where women were not necessarily heard. And the woman who had a lot to say was not valued as a woman. It's a very be seen, not heard. If we can hear you, you're doing something wrong. So there was also a lot of conditioning around that. There was a lot of trauma around that. And um, I'm going to be the first person to recommend a therapist for everyone. Don't even try to, uh, a lot of people use social media as therapy, things like that. Save up for a therapist talk to them. It can do a lot more for helping with the deconditioning and determining what is actually yours and what is stuff that you're holding on from, whether society or family or other people, people people-pleasing habits. And that is one of the big things, differentiate between what is yours and what is other people's and also get comfortable with decision-making. Not everyone has a black and white um, authority. I know I self-projected. I have to talk a lot and then I'm basically retrieving information from what I'm saying. I know for you, it's probably a little bit different because that splenic hit is just like, bam, here it is. And then emotional authorities, they, they go through these ups and downs and these waves and it's getting comfortable that the way you make decisions is different from how someone else does it. Did you want to say anything about your experiment with the sidereal human design? When I read up about sidereal, I got kind of pulled into it because 
someone that I do follow on social media who was like an up and coming human design reader. I was like, I'm rooting for her. The communities that she represents is very much needed in human design. And I just watched people mock her and tear her down and people made fake Instagram accounts making fun of her posts. And I, I remember someone um, saying that there was a group that flooded her Facebook group and just continue bullying this, this woman. So I knew for me, sidereal human design, like I'm, I've already got my hands full with one system. I don't, I don't need a second system. But when I watched this happen, something clicked for me. I was just like, wow, this is something that is opening a wound for a lot of people. This is something that is abrasive. And that is what I'm interested in. Why does so many people have this reaction to sidereal human design? And that's what prompted me to write that blog post. And what I realized is when people experience, um, like a repulsion, when people experience abrasiveness, there's a lesson there. There is, um, there's something to be learned. And sometimes uh, when I've worked with clients, they'll say like, oh, I've heard about sidereal human design. And I kind of want you to look at that chart too. And I'll, I'll straight up say that's, I don't use it in my practice. However, I will never discourage people from experimenting with it because not all of us are in the same journey. And I think a lot of us are fixated with trying to do things correctly. And that's why we follow authority, right? We want to be right about things. Yet the human experience is usually in a gray area. If someone is working with their sidereal chart and they're improving their life, they're experiencing wholesomeness and they're feeling empowered, who is any of us to say that it's incorrect for that person? If human design is a science of differentiation, then also makes sense that we all approach it differently and retrieve things from it differently. How do you balance that three, five profile with your strategy to wait for the invitation? Um, the way I look at waiting for an invitation is we're waiting for other people to be ready for us because as projectors, we, we hold a specific type of energy or specific type of container. And as we progress in our lives, as we work on our masteries and as we pursue new wisdom, or as we develop new wisdom, that energy shifts with us. And usually because we have this penetrating and uh, piercing aura as projectors, I like to remind projectors about the art of consent that you don't pierce or penetrate others without their consent, which is exactly why we need invitations to do so. Our energy is a lot. We give all of ourselves when we are working with another human being. Have you been told that you're intense? Um, <laughs> yeah, for all the time. <laughs> so I may have gotten that a few times. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very it's something it's very projectory, I guess, to be told that you're a lot, you're intense. And it works one way or another. People can look at you in awe and be like, wow, you're a lot. I want more of that or you're just too much, you're too extra, and then dip out. And really as a projector, it's, it's an art form to be able to hold yourself in that energy and to create that space for other people to step in when they are ready and not have to persuade them to do it. So that's how I view invitations. And usually when somebody steps in, um, I have a defined G center. That's where my um, authority comes from. If I'm not speaking, I will feel some sort of tug towards or away from um from that experience or that person. Sometimes I will say it feels like there's a rope that gets tied around my G-Center and I'll feel like I'm being tugged in a specific direction because the G-Center is also about direction. 
And all of a sudden I go there and it's like an invitation lines up. So everything is divine timing for me. You continue on your journey. And then all of a sudden, especially as a three, five, that three, I call it the baby in the helmet scenario where it's like, there's a baby and they're wearing a helmet and they're just running down the hallway and they smack their head onto something. Ooh, an invitation. Like we're just there doing these things, whatever it is we're doing. And then all of a sudden it's like, it smacks us in the face. Oh, okay. Great. Terrific. Do I want this invitation? Is it expired? Is it, what is it? And then we continue on. Yeah. I like that visual. So how did you come across human design and what was it that spoke to you about it? I was a virtual assistant and I was not getting along with my client who, who's a manifester. And she said, let's go get our human design charts done. Okay, cool. Let's do it. But when it was getting done, it was a generator who read our charts and she was an incredible human design reader, but I was not ready in that, that time of my life. I was not ready for what she had to say. And I was kind of like, this is a BS system. Don't really like it. Waiting for an invitation is not really my thing. And then a couple of months later, I came to the realization that the best opportunities for me have always come from some sort of invitation and I didn't need to go and pursue it. However, personality wise, I don't feel like I'm a tired person. I don't feel like I need to nap or do all these things that people say that projectors need to do. I like to take initiative often and I do a lot in a very short amount of time. And I just felt like I did not align with what it says a projector is. Later on, I learned how to read my own chart. I kind of just downloaded a software and bought a bunch of books and took a couple of uh, self-led courses. I learned how to read my own chart and I realized that it's not just about what is a projector, but it's also about all the centers and the gates. What do these things have to say about you? And that's when I started aligning more with my chart. So I'm realizing the type is just what pulls people in, but when you actually get into the meat of the design, it starts to make more sense. Right. Because there are such thing as energy projectors when you have an energy center defined, because to me, I couldn't do the 12, 14 hour days. I was in the medical field for a while. And a lot of people were doing the 12 hour shifts that are just normal at hospitals And I did a few of those in my student rotations and, oh gosh, I was like, I can't, I can't do 12 hours. But when projectors started talking about needing to take naps during the day, et cetera, I didn't really resonate too much with that. And then that's when I, you know, I realized that I am what they call an energy projector because I do have some motor centers defined. And so, yeah, it's whenever you get down to those nuances and some of the the details that it may start to feel like it resonates more. So you decided, oh, this is so cool. And, and then you wanted to read for others. How did that start? I was actually gonna be a copywriter because I love writing and marketing is my other passion. So I joined a course. It was like a mastermind and we all got stuck in uh, the specific part of the mastermind. I said, well, I guess I'm going to go look at my human design chart and see what it has to say. And everyone else was like, can you do mine too? And collectively they all said, you should just give up copywriting and do this. Cause this is clearly what you're really good at. And I was like, you're kidding. <laughs> I do have a background in like palm reading and card reading and all of these things. So for me, it was like, 
eh, reading a chart. I, it's like breathing. So I told them I'll give it two months. And I just made a post on my Facebook. And I was like, I'll read your chart for 120 bucks. Hit me up if you want a reading. And uh, I made like $5,000 that period of time. I was like, holy crap. I didn't even have a website. <laughs> so that invitation kind of came full force. And I was like, yeah, cool. Let's give it a try. As a three, five, I don't like to commit to anything long-term. I like to just say, I'm gonna do it for this block of time and then review how I feel about it and then adjust from there. So that's what ended up uh, happening. I just started reading for people and I, I guess I'm on this train now because <laughs> it hasn't stopped. Are you still liking it? You still enjoying it? I, I very much enjoy human design. I'm currently not doing readings. Like at the time we're doing this podcast, um, simply because I want to focus on building more accessible resources because it's not cheap to get a reading from me, but I want human design to be more widely available. So I started making smaller products or things that are more self self-serve in terms of human design. Mm. Yeah. I, having come from a, a poor family growing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the 150 bucks, it's like, wow. You start comparing that to what's your cell phone bill for the month or your, mm-hmm. your electric bill for the month. And it's like, Ooh, these tools are really helpful. They don't really feel all that accessible sometimes. I love your writing style. I can see how you, you said you enjoyed the copywriting. I love your, your style. It seems very accessible. It seems, I, I love the, the humor in it. And I love the, the realness of it. The authenticity, it's kind of raw. I, I like it. It's it's like real. <laughs> it's like real writing, but it's beautiful. It's beautifully worded. So I think that's really cool. Let me ask you this because I was like, how did this happen? How did you manifest a team to help you? The first person who joined my team was actually a woman. My ex-husband was stationed in uh, Okinawa, Japan, and her husband was also stationed there. And during that time, I taught a lot of card reading courses and stuff. And she ended up joining my group and we stayed in touch over the years. She decided, of course, as a manifestor, self-starter, she decided she wanted to try being a virtual assistant. And I remember that she edited young adult novels and she had a master's in PR. And I was like, I don't really have a huge budget right now. And you need your first client. Can we make something work? And at the same time, I, I told all my friends about her. I was just like, if you need an assistant, like she's the one I went to Washington DC for a photo shoot in October. And I brought her along and everyone that met her was just like, not trying to steal your assistant, but does she have any availability? So that was just a great, great dynamic. I'm a little bit eccentric. Sometimes when people work with me, they're like, none of my clients do this. They're usually more consistent. They have structure. And for me, I'm just like. I have this idea and we're just going to break it down and turn it into something, but we may or may not use it. That's the three, five, right? That's what we do. And not everyone can be in that uh, type of environment. The rest of my team, um, everyone in my team are people who have followed me for some period of time and know my work. I have two manifestors on my team and another projector. So we have no, no defined sacrals here. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. So that 
I guess that also plays into the invitation part. It's not just here's a job application who wants to work with me. It's people had already interacted with my energy and was just like, I can help you. We can magnify this. We can do more with this. And it's like, yeah, I like the sound of that. Let's do it. I was going to ask you if you saw anything else on the horizon other than human design for you, but you were saying that right now it basically is human design, but just creating some smaller offerings, right? That's for me. I'm also a investor in small businesses. Um, so indie video game companies, like there's a, there's a bra company I invested in because they're they're inclusive. And when I mean inclusive, it's, I think a lot of us have worn bras where it's just like, I'm being skewered right now. There's something (laughs) stabbing me. I'm not comfortable. I can't wait to go home. And this company has whatever your body size, whether you're, you're nursing, you're not nursing the bras work. So I wanted to invest in that company. Um, I, I have someone who is, he created this like thing for new barbers, this product to help them learn how to cut hair. And I was like, yeah, we'll invest in that. So that's one of the other things I want to do. I want to take the money I earn from what I do in human design and I want to reinvest it in other people's dreams that I want to see come to life because mm. all this stuff comes full circle. Every time you invest in something, every time you pay somebody, it's it's a vote for them. It is It is saying, I support you. That's beautiful. It just reminds me that when you support the people and things that light you up, it enables them to help others. It's full Mm -hmm. circle. I remember with my uh, Patreon group, the first lady to sign up, I was just really excited. I'm like, okay, what do you want to see in this Patreon group? Do you want, do you want a book club? Do you want videos twice a week? What do you want? And I would love to, to produce that for you. Mm -hmm. And she was like, yeah, I actually don't need anything. <laughs> she just, I just wanted to uh, sign up to uh, support you because I know you support others with the podcast or whatever it is that you do. You're helping others. And so I want to, I want to help you. So it was just, that came to mind when you said that. Mm-hmm. Well, um, with you and your defined G center, is there anywhere that you're wanting to go in this conversation that we haven't talked about? The moment you said anywhere you want to go, I was just like somewhere tropical, please, because <laughs> I can't deal with this weather anymore. Um, honestly, I've just been kind of following your lead wherever you want to go. <laughs> I'm happy to come along. Well, I think those were the main questions I, I had for you. I wanted to address the internal versus, you know, the self-projected authority versus external authority. And I wanted to talk about uh, how you manifested a team because it's really cool. Um, You know, generally speaking, when it's with a reader, you're just dealing directly with them. It's like a Mm -hmm. one person show. And so I was like a little jealous. I'm like, oh my gosh, this woman has a team. How did she make this happen? Because Maybe it'd be this way for a lot of people, but speaking as a projector, it's like, I would so love that (laughs) because there's only so much I feel like I can do. And I feel as though if there were other people as part of a team, it could be so much bigger. 
So that's why I asked you how you manifested that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I'm very protective of my energy because I know mechanically I only have so much and I am a mom. I have, I have a eight-year-old and a six-year-old. So that's where the bulk of my energy goes. Then I have four animals on top of that. And that's why I, I needed an assistant. And I told her straight up from day one, it's the bane of my existence to answer emails because I, I just sit on them and then I want to respond. But then like, I don't know, is it too soon? What words do I use? I'm very good at writing blog posts and stuff, but communicating with people. I feel like maybe I'm just dumping on them or some, I don't know. So when I met Alice again, and she was like, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll do this for you. She was just like, don't even worry about it. I got you. And I have not looked at any of my emails outside of the one she forwards me in months. She just takes care of all of it. And yeah, it very much aligns with me as well, because a lot of virtual assistants or people who join teams, they're trying to start their own business. And they're just hoping your business would be a stepping stone for that. People on my team either have their own business and I'm helping fund it through them working with me. Or they have um, no interest in starting a business, but it's nice to bring in a couple of extra thousand dollars a month to help the family. Mm -hmm. So I think it's all a matter of that alignment and being out of energies that I didn't want to be helped a lot as well. When I'm around a lot of pissed off entrepreneurs who are like, I will never pay more than $15 an hour for cheap labor because X, Y, Z, whatever, you're going to get a certain type of assistant. But when you're around other people who genuinely love your work, I've had people straight up tell me, I will even intern under you in exchange. You just teach me human design and I will intern for you. I don't even want to be paid. I just want to learn from you. Mm -hmm. So there's just so many different ways you can bring people in that is not even related to currency. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Having her as that intermediate, it was kind of like, walk into a bar or somewhere and then all of a sudden there's a bouncer who <laughs> yeah <laughs> wanting to check your id and like oh I, I like this because you know how you were saying you're very protective of your energy it was really cool to see someone kind of step in there mm -hmm. and take care of all this outward energy so that you can focus on yeah, what it is that you, that you love <laughs> and enjoy doing so yeah, she's my pit bull. And sometimes people get mean, especially in human design. So when people message mean things and stuff, I, I don't see it. I don't mm. see it. It doesn't even need to be in my space. Yeah. And internally, I've, I've always had this thing where it's just like, if people want me to listen to why they don't like me or what they don't like about my material, they can pay my hourly fee for it because you're going to be tapping into my energy for that. So oh, that's um, good. <laughs> That's why I love having her there as well. She is my, my energy's bodyguard, but it also, I love watching our dynamic because she is a non-sacral defined being, but she's a manifester, not a projector. And one of the things I always laugh about is sometimes I'll just wander around and be like, did my team take care of this? And then the manifestors will be like, we did that last week, but they didn't tell me. So I'm just at a point where I just trust that they've done everything and they usually have. Oh, I love that. I love that, that trust that you can have with, you know, with someone, especially when it comes to, I mean, it's great in all areas of life, but mm -hmm. work is something that I don't think that we traditionally see that very often. <laughs> so in closing, of course, protecting privacy, is there any type of 
story that you can share with us as to how human design has completely transformed a client's life? Like why um, human design? What makes it so cool and important that your career is giving human design readings? Um, I, I still don't know why people come to me for human design readings. The headline on my website right now is the coolest human design rabbit hole you'll ever find. Because when I ask people, how did you find me? It's usually at the bottom of some sort of rabbit hole that they've been down for, <laughs> I don't know how much time. And then another story here is like, yeah, and then it just felt compelled to buy a reading from you. It's like, okay, terrific. A lot of clients will come back and they'll say, when we had our reading, it was kind of interesting. There was a lot going on. I have a tendency to fire hose people with, um, with their human design. And I tell them, you're not going to remember 99% of this, but then three, four or five months from now, you're going to run into a situation and you're going to, for some reason, be like, maybe my human design will help me. And then they're going to listen to the recording and they're going to pull something out that they did not before. And that's usually what I get from my clients. They'll email me like months or like a year after the, their reading and say, I don't know why I didn't pick this up before, but then I did this, re-listen to the reading and oh my gosh, everything makes sense now. And um, I've had to learn to trust divine timing. I used to feel like oh, did they get something out of the reading? Did I do something wrong? And, and I would just feel myself want to overgive or compensate for something, especially if they weren't smiling at the right. other end of the Zoom call. Um, and when I work through that, I realize I just have to let people come to understand how their human design plays out in their lives on their own timeline. Mm-hmm. And, and that's it. Otherwise, I'm kind of just completely hands off. It's like, here's the reading. You do what you like with it. So Fiona, how can people find out more about you and follow what you're making in your own sandbox? Um, you can follow me on uh, seeingstardust.com. That is the name of my website. I do have an Instagram. It's the wild pixel underscore. It, that's actually my old website name. I don't tend to use a whole lot of social media because I think it emotionally exhausts me. So most of my stuff is found on my website. I have an email list and I much prefer just that intimacy of sending people emails versus like, let me get on this platform and bear my soul to the world. Also, here's a graphic that you may or may not like. (laughs) I love how in the Lifestylist podcast, Luke Story ends his pods asking his guests this question. So I'm including it in mine. Mm -hmm. Who have been three teachers or teachings in your life that you might share with our audience that they could go research and also learn from? Does this have to do with human design or can I just say anybody? Anything, any, any, anybody. Number one has to be Ryan Holiday. He is a marketer turned, um, he, he writes about stoicism. And when I went through a really, really difficult time, I was suddenly becoming a single mom, going through a divorce, living in poverty all at once. And I really wanted to lash out at my former spouse. And I I could feel myself devolving into like a toxic person. And when I read some of Ryan Holiday's books on stoicism, because they are a little bit more modernized, he used a lot of examples of when other people like you know, Tiger Woods or JFK were put up against a wall and how they could have handled it or how they could have done better and the long-term impacts of it. So I never really thought of myself as someone who'd be into philosophy, but 
yeah, I picked up one of his books and I just kept picking them up every time one comes up. So I recommend Ryan Holiday a lot. For human design, I have to say there's a woman by the name of Karen Curry Parker. Human design tends to be a really stuffy, masculine environment. It can also be a little aggressive and gatekeepy, I guess would be the word I would use. Karen Curry Parker does a great job of bringing in her students into a very compassionate environment and um she's also kind of funny which i like i don't like it when it's too dry so karen curry parker would definitely be my number two i'm uh currently taking one of her courses uh healing the witch wound and Mm -hmm. part of that course material is an introduction to human design Mm -hmm. and it goes over i haven't finished all of it but the part i've gone through she was uh, covering the open centers in human design and what that means. And I don't know about you, but sometimes this is true for me that I can hear it said a million different times in a million different ways, but it's that one time that someone says it maybe just slightly different, or maybe I'm Mm -hmm. just in a more receptive place, but it feels like a light bulb. Wow. Um, She was talking about the open solar plexus which is what mm-hmm. something I have. It's completely open. And I was talking about how we can be afraid of truth and consequences. And my first reaction was like, I'm not afraid of truth. You know, I love truth, but she followed up with some more specifics. It was as though you're afraid of speaking your truth because of the consequences of how that's going to make other people feel and how they're going to react. And because you take on other people's emotions so much of the time, you don't want to start something or provoke a certain response. So you try to kind of keep everything even keel because you just don't want to have to deal with whatever is happening, you know, whatever the response is of that person. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, that is so true. Even with this podcast, sometimes I'll go back and edit out a few of the more polarizing comments just because emotionally, I I guess I am afraid of the truth and consequences. I don't know how someone else is going to react and I don't want to deal with that. Oh yeah. So she's talking about how in the open centers, that's where we are called to be wise about something. And that's where I am being called to be wise about speaking my own truth. And ever I've heard that a million different ways about the open solar plexus, but by her saying it, it just was eye opening. (laughs) And I was like, that is, that is so true. It's just crazy <laughs> yeah. how, how amazing human design is. It's really cool. And oftentimes it is a combination of divine timing and um, us being ready to receive something like that and us being not distracted so we can receive something. And I, I hear that a lot. It happened to me as well. The first time I found out I was a projector, I was just like, ew, <laughs> I don't like this human design stuff. <laughs> I don't like what it says about me. Six months later, I was just taking a shower and it, it's kind of just hit me at once. And I was like, all right, yeah, everything makes sense. Mm-hmm. Begrudgingly goes back and looks up the rest of my chart. Yeah. I've only known of a few people who were really excited to know that they were projectors. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking some of them were further along on their spiritual journey, but I know I was not excited to find out that I was a projector and that I had to wait for invitation. So mm-hmm. I I have that defined root center 
And so I want to make things happen. And I know I can still do that. But at the time I took it as I had to wait on permission from someone outside of myself before I could basically do anything. Mm. And that's definitely not what that's about. But yeah, I wasn't really excited either. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What is number three? I think number three would not be an actual human being. Um, I think a lot of my teachers actually end up being... um, video games. The creator puts you in this simulated world and you get to choose what you're going to do, how you're going to develop, what kind of story you want to play, when to stop, when to continue. And in a strange roundabout way, I feel like being in these simulations can be eye-opening because you're put into situations where might be impossible in real life. You're put into situations where because you're working with AI, you don't know, would I do that in real life? Is this cruel? You're put into moral ambiguous moral situations. So maybe that's a weird answer, but I think uh, that would be my, a third teacher. Video games. I feel like video games are like books in a way because books, it is a it's a construct of the author. It is an artificial world that they created. And the difference is in a video game, you are in control to some extent. And usually a lot of these paths, a lot of these stories are pre-written for you, but you get to choose how you play it out and you get to choose a certain routes that you take. So it's almost as if you are, you're conscious in the simulation that you are a part of. And through that, you can extract a lot of different lessons. Even like meeting a character that's not a real person can have some sort of effect on people. It's like watching a good movie or reading a good book, getting attached to certain characters, hating other characters. And it is part of the human experience. I mean, even the lives we lead now, like how much, um, and we discuss this in human design, how much control does any of us really have? I live in in an apartment building, not because I I want to, but because the housing market's a little wild right now. And there's all of these other factors that play into the decisions we make every single day. So at least there, it's a simulated environment where we could have that back and forth, trying to learn something, um, trying to experience something, but then we get to shut it off and carry on with um, this other world we live in. So the video games are helpful because you're able to turn it off or is it helpful because of what you're learning within the video game about choice within a simulation? So it's both. Both. Yeah. And most video games do not live in just that contained environment. It very much bleeds into real life, whether you're interacting with another person in the fandom and you're discussing the creation of a character, how that impacts your real life or something as, um, Some of that seems so minor as a character who lives, um, who represents a certain group of people who doesn't get representation, usually being able to see that there's a domino effect of how it leads into real life. The thing about no choice in human design is we don't have control over the mechanics that we were born in. So a manifester is mechanically different. Like if we were all I'm going to keep using robot analogies, I guess. If we were all like types of robots, our operating manuals would be different. That's how we differentiate between different human design types. That is something we have no control over. Just like I could not control, you know, what skin color I was born as or, you know, what culture I was born into. I have no control over these things. However, the way I use the tools that were given to me, because every, every mechanic is a tool. It's like a baseball bat versus a book. 
both can smash a window, but they're going to go about it a different way. So that's how I look at when we say we have no choice. We have no choice over the mechanics of who we are and how we operate. However, the way that we use these tools is different from person to person. That's where we do have control over ourselves. Um, how we, you know, again, how we react to things, how we enter certain situations. An environment is also a big factor that I think gets glossed over quite a bit. For example, we've heard of generational trauma. We've heard of people being a product of their environments. If someone is working a job where everyone is really negative, everyone's complaining all the time, it's very difficult for that person to sustain their own positivity, to sustain their own optimism. I've seen this with marketing. Let's say there's a book that comes out. A lot of people will often read the reviews before they read the actual book. And now these reviews can taint your idea of whether this book is good or bad. Um, it could be a horrible book that you would have never liked, but because there's so many glowing reviews, mm -hmm. you might be like, oh yeah, it's not so bad. Um, you know, the little bit of hive mind. So you can still choose to read that book and then experience lack of choice about whether you like it or not because of what you're predisposition to. Are you someone who tends to be a little bit more appeasing and go with the flow? Do you tend to go against the grain? So if everyone likes something, you automatically hate it. There's all of these factors that are in play. Oh, it reminds me the reason why I didn't go see the most recent Matrix movie is because I was hearing all of these reviews about how, how horrible it was and how it didn't reach nearly its potential. I had been really excited about watching it, but then there are other people I, I know who really liked the series and for them to say that it was disappointing I kind of trusted that but yeah that just reminded me of taking someone else's having them taint it so I didn't even I didn't even try it yeah I love campy horror shows so people be like oh it's so cheesy like all of this. And I, I love eighties slasher horror. I love the, the stuff in the nineties, like the scream movies. So corny, but I love them. And I, I think that's a part of why I am also not on social media because word of mouth marketing is the most powerful form of marketing. And the more I stray away from, especially as a projector, we're so sensitive to the world around us. I like to disconnect from it and remember, well, what do I like? Who am I? Would I enjoy this? Then let's try it. Forget what other people think. Well, to say goodbye, what I've been trying, um, because goodbyes can be a little awkward sometimes, and this probably makes it no less awkward, but I am going to press end meeting after the count of three. I'm going to count to three, and then you and I are both going to blurt out the name of a video game. Oh, man. And that's going to be it. All right. Thank you so much, Fiona. Okay. One, two, three. Uh, Sonic Undertale. Undertale. Okay. 